Don't be wasting any time, I got somewhere to be. Always on the grind, yeah, you know me. Hold the crown. Payback Time is a podcast that dives into the real story behind the person. How did they build their business? What challenges did they overcome? What mistakes did they make? And how did they achieve their goals? The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's Payback Time. My next guest has been an entrepreneur pretty much his entire life. In grade school, he was selling Dragon Ball Z graphics to his friends. In middle school and high school, he was selling electronics on eBay. By the time he reached college, he knew he wanted to become an attorney. So before he graduated with a law degree, he put out educational videos to build an audience. Although the entrepreneurial DNA is strong with this guy, he did something unexpected after graduation. He went to work for a law firm so he could learn how not to run a practice, how not to lead employees, and how not to manage clients' expectations. Great choice. One key topic we talk about on this episode is the importance of hiring people and that paying more upfront can actually save you money in the long run. Today, he owns a fast-growing personal injury law practice with 21 employees, and he has his sights set on growing that firm to 100 employees by the end of 2021. Please welcome Ali Awad. Ali, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Sean. Glad to have you here. So I always like to kick things off and have you tell us about your career backstory. If you could, take it away. All right. So first and foremost, my name is Ali Awad. I'm a personal injury lawyer and I help injured people make a wad of money. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I, I started really just um, from a poor immigrant family from Palestine. We moved to the Bible Belt of Dalton, Georgia in the early 90s. And so I grew up in a town that was actually predominantly Hispanic. And uh, my parents were very strict on speaking Arabic at home to preserve the culture. Um, so we had a rule where you only speak Arabic at home. So I would speak Arabic at home, English at school, and Spanish with my friends. So I grew up fully trilingual. And, um, you know, I always had this issue of not being able to fit in wherever I went. So because there was just no one like me, there were no, you know, Middle Eastern Muslim kids in the Bible Belt that just kind of talked a little funny and looked a little funny, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I adapted. And that's kind of been a recurring theme throughout my entire life is just adaptation and taking whatever situation I'm in and trying to make the best of it. So I started as an entrepreneur at the uh, late age of five years old. Uh, in the, in the 90s, Let's see where dad, this is going. <laughs> my dad was an engineer and, um, you know, he, but he wasn't a citizen. So he could only take on certain jobs where, you know, they would pay him as a cash person or whatever, but he was a brilliant engineer and still is. And he happened to have a color printer at home. So this was right around the time where the internet started becoming a cool thing. And uh, so mm -hmm. I would just go online and search for Dragon Ball Z characters and I would print off those pictures and sell them at school. You know, I'd sell them for two, three, four, five dollars to the kids because no one knew what the internet was at that time. This is like 1995. So I distinctly remember being five years old, printing off these Dragon Ball Z characters and just cutting the URL off of the bottom of the page because it always prints the, the URLs like google.com slash Dragon Ball Z pics, sure. right? without all the extra stuff on there because the internet was just that new. Fast forward a couple years later, I'm now deep into the entrepreneurship game. I made my first $100 bill. All right. Five Yu-Gi-Oh cards to this kid named Lionel Reynoso in middle school. Or no, it's still elementary school. Um, and I, I just kind of, I loved being a salesperson. You know, we grew up poor. So it was always a scarcity mentality. We never had much. You're, it was the family where, you know, if you pick up a piece of candy at the checkout line, you better put that back or you're going to get smacked. Um, <laughs> it's just how sure. we grew up. You know, it's, it was normal to get the lights cut off. It was normal to have to, to have cockroaches sure. in the house. It was normal to be embarrassed to invite friends over. I never had any friends over because I didn't want them to see how I was living, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so as in middle school, I started getting more involved with internet sales. Um, at one point in middle school, I was selling $10,000 a week of electronics I was buying from wholesalers and distributors throughout the Southeast and just shipping these amplifiers, air purifiers, 
um, literally anything I can get my hands on and shipping them all over the world by selling on eBay. And so I remember when I was like 12 nice. years old, I was like, mom, you got to pick me up from middle school because I can't ride the bus. You know, I get home at 4.30, 4.45, not enough time to package these materials and ship them off because eBay is going to ding me for shipping them late. So you got to pick me up at 3.30. I got to get home, package these amplifiers. Supply chain process. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I can't, I can't get that bad review on, on eBay. That's right. And so, you know, you, if you think about it, it's like this is 12, 13 years old. And between that time and before I started law school, I had seven different companies and I had made millions of dollars in sales and not always profitably, but I just became, you know, so in tune with salesmanship and customer service. Sure. And I learned that, you know, you know, that old saying, that expression that says, um, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Well, that's exactly how I adapt when I'm talking to all sorts of people. And I sure. changed my accent and my dialect, even my language. Um, by the time I was in college, I was speaking five different languages because I studied abroad in, in China um, and in Brazil. And so I was speaking five languages. I came, became very comfortable with it. And I was like, man, how do I incorporate all of this stuff into something that's worth my time? Because um, during law school, I was a car audio salesman. I would just sell wheels and tires and electronics. I just didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. Fast forward to, um, you know, to today, I run a uh, personal injury practice. We have about 21, 22 employees, depending on whether this guy responds and accepts my job offer. Um, <laughs> and uh, we also have a media company where we create content, uh, not just for me, but for also lawyers and doctors throughout the country on social media. And so my, my understanding and my, my businesses have just kind of evolved from just the many years of working on the inter internet and seeing it evolve over the years. So um, that was my short introduction. I can give you the long form if you'd like. No, let's, let's start unpacking some of these details. A really exciting childhood there, especially in entrepreneurship. That's very rare. Some of the things you did, especially getting into online sales. You know, the, the world of selling face-to-face -face is a little different than selling online because you're looking at larger volumes and you're selling without personality. You're selling with words or pictures. So, right. so you decided what I have to ask this question. What was your undergrad graduate degree in? So I was an English major with a minor in Spanish and Chinese. Okay. All right. And what motivated you to become an attorney? I just didn't want to be a car audio salesman for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, to be, to be honest, my older sure. brother, Ibrahim, uh, he's three years older than I am. So he's always set the standard and set the bar in my family me being one of six children. So my oldest brother, and then there was another one, and then me. So with that three-year difference, I could see him try all these things, see what mistakes he made and what worked out for him. Nice. And I just saw that, man, to be, if I really want to be honest, because I, I, I don't give the same answer every time I get this question, because it's it, there's so many reasons. But if I really wanted to be honest, it's that in my culture, you know, we joke that, hey, there are three career choices, doctor, lawyer, or failure, pick one, you know? <laughs> and it, it's, not, it's not really a joke because there's a lot of societal pressure in the Muslim community and the Arab community to become an educated person. And I just so happened to be really good at school. So I said, why not? I'm 21 years old. I want to do something where when my dad introduces me or my wife talks about me or whoever, it's like, oh, he's a lawyer. I needed something. I needed something to describe who I was as a career choice and not something that was just entrepreneur or just businessman. Because up until just recently, entrepreneur had carried a negative connotation. It's like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. Okay, you're a failure. Yeah, you, you're, you're part of a multi-level marketing company. Great. I exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, it's so crazy because I was an entrepreneur before it was cool. And I wanted right. to do something that made that legitimized who I was. And I just needed a piece of paper that I could hang on the wall to say, Hey, I'm qualified to talk to you. Yep. And so that was really the, the, the main underlying reason I think was that I just needed something that qualified me and maybe came with a little bit of extra respect in my community. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I get it. No, that's, that's a great answer. And, and you nailed it because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. They are trying to be, entrepreneurs, right? They, they try this, they try that, they try that. Next thing you know, they're 45 years old, broke, and they've never had a successful business in their life. I've met 
dozens of people <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. There's also, you know, a path you could have taken is getting into the world of online business. You have experience selling products online. You've could have probably went that route of creating a SaaS of some sort, software as a service product. Um, if you didn't do e-commerce SaaS, I'd say is a level above that. Um, but it is pretty cool to see you get into a actual service business, which is, you know, you're an attorney. So let's talk about that journey a little bit. You graduated, what year was that? So 2015, I graduated uh, JD MBA. So I got the doctorate in law and the master's in business. I was 24 at the time. So I was one okay. of the youngest grads with those degrees in the state of Georgia. Okay. And where'd you go to school? I'm just curious. Georgia State. Okay, nice. Yep. State school. There you go. Um, all right. And did you start your firm right away or did you work for somebody? No, I am like so deep as an entrepreneur, like, man, I can, it, I, I can tell you love this stuff and you, we can talk about it all day and yes. night. Um, but man, I had to put my ego to the side because I watched my brother start his practice and I knew that you have to build a reputation, yeah. you know, being in the electronics and automotive business, I had been doing it for like 10 years. And it's funny to say that because I was like in my twenties and I'm like, Oh, I've been doing this for 10 years. It's like, dude, I've been making hundred thousand dollar deals with, you know, major electronics companies in Vegas before I got my driver's license. That was just how it was. Cause my brothers and I were just all entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. But when the, you know, when the opportunity came to go to law school, especially and get a scholarship, I was like, okay, I need to do this the right way. I need to learn as much as I can. Yes. And so I went and took the lowest paying job. I was getting paid 40 grand a year with a doctorate in law and a master's in business. And this is just like four or five years ago. Um, but I knew that that experience was going to teach me everything I needed to know about uh, running a personal injury practice and dealing with those cases and how to work them from start to finish. But the crazy thing was that I learned how not to run a practice. Yes. I learned how not to deal with employees. I learned how to not manage client expectations because I saw all of the mistakes that were yeah. happening, you know? Yeah. And so that was, that was great. I did that for 14 months and I started my practice in 2017. Nice dude. Perfect path there. I tell so many people like, if you want to be a business owner, don't go be a business owner, go work yeah. for somebody first. And this is one thing that most people don't realize and what you did to the T is you want to infiltrate that company. You don't want to just learn your job. You want to learn the business, exactly. every facet, like how are proposals written? How are deals negotiated? How does the business run? What how mistakes the are they acquisition. Making? Yes, it exactly everything. Like if you go in and you just do your job, you are failing. Like, and I am just going to be harsh on that. Anybody listening, yeah. like learn the business you're in, be a spy. I mean, in a good way, but you want to, you want to play dumb, ask questions, be curious, George, all day. Well, <laughs> you know? You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that, man, because so many people think that once you graduate, your goal should be to make money. Your mm -hmm. goal should be anything but money. It should right. be experience. It should be networking and it should be learning as much as you can about your specific industry. And getting that experience from a small firm gives you all of that. And you know, uh, Jack Ma, yeah. who's the founder of Alibaba, mm -hmm. um, it's, he said this, he's like, you know, in your 20s, you should use that for studying. In your 30s, you should use that for, um, or no, 20s, like apprenticeship, 30s, studying and learning, 40s is when you should start making your money. Right. I just, I 100% I agree with that, but I just did it a little bit more rapidly because I started in the teens. And then the 20s was all about learning. So yeah. my my relationship with money is that I use it as a tool to learn fast. That's it. That's it. You, that is, a, yes. So, so many people look at money as an idol. It controls them. They're working for it. And I always tell people, you probably agree, you want to flip the equation. So you're not working for money. Money's working for you. Exactly. You have the high ground in that situation. So, you know, every move you're making business, you're looking to provide value and learn more. And money is a result of that. You're not even looking for it. You it's know, it's kind of, yeah. yes, it's, it, it's, exactly. it's a fleeting thing. Money is a fleeting thing. The less I search for it and go after it, the more it's attracted to me. Yes, exactly. You got yeah. to figure it out. Interview done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See ya. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All value provided. We're good here. No, that that's great. So um, let's talk about your specialty here. So personal injury, why did you 
focus on that niche? Because there's so many facets of law you could have gone into. Right. So you would think that knowing all these different languages, I would be an immigration lawyer. Right. Especially given the fact that, you know, I'm one of six children. My dad is one of 10 children. And every one of his nine siblings had five to 10 children. So there's like, there's a lot of people, literally, <laughs> uh, like just everywhere, <laughs> you know? Um, so you would think, because everyone's got immigration issues or whatever, but I worked at an immigration firm. I just I wanted to learn the business. It was unbelievably slow. Mm. And the biggest problem was that I couldn't control any sort of outcome. It wasn't like a sport. So my, you know, I, I was a martial artist for most of my life. Sure. And I loved competing. I, I loved knowing that I could punch you in the face and get rewarded for it. And that's translated into my life as a business owner. And when you're dealing with immigration courts, the court, the law is just set up that 50% of it is the law and 50% of it is the discretion by the judge. And that's just way too much discretion for me to be able to build a sustainable business model that yep. works with my personality. So I tried it. I hated it. Um, then I tried business litigation. I worked at a firm, um, you know, stayed there for maybe about a year, realized it's so boring. It's just like, it's not as cool as it sounds as how they make it in the show suits. That's just not how it works. You know, <laughs> well, that's not reality. It's not reality. No. <laughs> so, uh, I tried that, hated it. Um, my brother's an attorney. He started his practice, but he, he didn't have too many clients at the time. And I did not want to do criminal defense. And you know why there's just nothing worse than taking money from someone who's already broke. Yeah, right. And I learned very quickly that State Farm's checks don't bounce. No. So when I make a car insurance claim and I settle a case and State Farm sends me a check, that money's good. And so, you know, maybe a little background here. The, the reason why that, that's important is because when I was 19 years old, I got ripped off for $25,000. I had a truckload of electronics that I delivered to New Orleans to these guys that pretended to be my friends. Hey, and we'll see, we'll give you these checks, just post date them for later. They shut down the bank account. It wasn't a real check. And then they said, Hey, if you want to come back and get your stuff, we'll put a bullet in your head. Like, okay. I don't, I don't want that kind of business. I want a business where I can be comfortable and know that my efforts are my, my income is directly proportional to my efforts. So I wanted a sort of a commission basis work yep. where, Hey, let me work and I'll earn my way up. And I wanted unlimited potential. I wanted a business where, look, if I want to make a hundred million dollars a year, I, I, there it needs to be possible. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, in the beginning, I really did care all about money because I never had it. And, right. you know, the exact moment that I knew personal injury was that business that I had been searching for. Cause this, you know, this, let me, let me just go into this a little bit. Sure. There's a lot of young kids, teenagers, guys in their twenties, maybe even thirties or forties that still haven't figured it out yet. Okay. And it's because they think there's always something better to go pursue. And so you spend all of your time doing nothing. Mm -hmm. thinking that that amazing opportunity is just going to come to you. And I struggled very, very deeply with that because I'm like, I'm, I'm better than just being a lawyer. I'm better than just being a doctor. I'm better than just being a business owner. No one said you have to be one thing. You just have to figure out how to pick that one thing, become an expert at that one thing, and then add all of the additional skills that you have to be so unique in that field that yes. everyone is attracted to you. Yep. And to me, the determining factor was the scalability and upwards mobility of that business. So I say all that to say when I walked into a seminar for personal injury lawyers and this guy came up and started explaining a case that he had just finished and me being a broke law student, just going there for the free Chick-fil-A biscuits, mm -hmm. um, I'm listening to this guy and I'm like, what's this idiot coming up here doing teaching me about law? Man, I know more. I've forgotten more than what you've learned, son. <laughs> Little did I know this guy was a beast. And at the very end of his presentation, he said, you know, the question was asked, hey, so how much was the verdict on this case? He said, oh, seven million. Seven million. Okay, you have my attention. I'm good with numbers. So 40% contingency in litigation, 2.8, you made 2.8 million on one case. 
like now my now you know you had my attention now you've got my curiosity yes you know? <laughs> thank you you know leo and dicaprio so the crazy thing was immediately after that he said yeah but it just so happened that we were in a very conservative venue because i had a case exactly like this two months ago where we had a 20 million dollar verdict and so i'm doing the numbers here and i'm like you made 10 million dollars in attorney's fees in the past few months that's more money than my entire family is worth <laughs> all of them awards all like we've just never ever like fathomed that kind of money and so i was like that's it this is what i need to do i'll figure out a way to do it but it's, if he can do it i can do it totally so yep. for the people that and and by the way i was very naive and so oblivious and ignorant at that time because I didn't understand how much effort that guy had put in to get to where he was, but I didn't care because I knew that if that it's possible. And so my advice to the youth or to anyone that hasn't quite figured it out yet is find someone that you want to be like, find someone that has a lifestyle that you'd like to imitate and then do whatever it takes to get to that point. So, it's a, it's a two-step instruction. It's find someone that you not necessarily idolize, but that you respect and you admire. Totally. It doesn't have to be money. It could be the lifestyle. Like, hey, man, this person spends all of his time with his kids. He's got it figured out. He's living in a comfortable ranch and he's always farming. Like, he's living the life. I love that. I want to do what he's doing. What did you do, sir? Oh, well, I worked at Goldman Sachs for three years, saved up a lot of money, put it into you know, all these different mm -hmm. retirement accounts, invested it in the stock market, and then relaxed. Okay. Okay. So that means I got to make as much money as possible and, and then get my life going. And so I just, you know, that was kind of a segue to your question, but I decided I wanted to do personal injury at that time in 2014, 2015, when I realized the potential of it. And I finally felt like I found an industry that is worthy of my time. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you feel like stock investing is too confusing, too time consuming, or too risky? It doesn't have to be. Ticker gives you the power to manage your own investments, reduce risk, and beat the market along the way. In fact, Ticker has proven to beat the market every year for 20 years. From 1999 through 2019, the lowest annual return was 10%, and the highest annual return was 96%. Compare that to the market average of 6%. If you ever considered investing on your own but don't know where to start, Ticker is your solution. Ticker safely guides you through your investment journey by finding on-sale stocks and showing you why those stocks are on sale, giving you the confidence that you're making a wise investment. Before Ticker launched, I back-tested it through the 2008 recession. Here are those surprising results. In 2008, the S&P 500 dropped by 38%. Ticker was up 24%. In 2009, the S&P 500 went up by 23%. Ticker was up 72%. And in 2010, the S&P 500 went up by 12%. Ticker was up 96%. That's the moment when I said, I can't keep this platform for myself. I need to share it with others. If you're interested, go ahead and get started with a free trial. No credit card required. Visit ticker.pro. That's T-Y-K-R.pro. Again, ticker.pro. I like your process there because it's, there's a process of elimination to determine what, what is scalable, right? A, a businessman or somebody who gets the scalability of business is going to look at that. One of the first things you should look at, how scalable is this? Is it a trap? Am I, do I have limitations on income and value add to the public? If so, you probably want to look elsewhere. And is it exciting? Does it, Oh, provide personal fulfillment, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, you, you, you either check those boxes or cross those out and move on to the next. And you found the niche within the, the field of law that is perfect for you. That's, that's great. Yeah, man. And honestly, it was boring at first. And, you know, I think that, um, I think, I don't know who said this quote, but it's success is the pro progressive realization of a predetermined goal. Checks out. Success is the progressive realization of a predetermined goal. So as, as an attorney, I know that, okay, well, my first goal is kind of get, get some clients in. Let me get a paralegal to work for me. Let me get that first, you know, five-figure settlement, six-figure settlement. The ultimate goal is to get to the number one law firm in the country. And 
when you kind of put yourself already in that position mentally, you know, it's almost like I already did it. Now I just need the money to come along with it. You know, the money's just lagging everything. Like my life is already where I want it to be. Everything. It's just all of the things that I'm laying the foundations for or catching up, you know? And I think that, um, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right, man. You know, uh, people really should focus on something that's scalable because once you find something that's requires all of your time, mm-hmm. um, you'll be working for your business instead of having your business work for you. That's exactly it. That's a trap a lot of people get into if they start a business. And that's also, of course, if you're an employee, you're constantly working for a paycheck instead of the business. Really, essentially, it's going to be generating revenue for you. It's working for you. Um, let's, let's change gears just a little bit here. I like to learn the beginning stages. So when you went off on your own, did you, it, and, and I assume you're hundred percent owner of this firm. Yes. Yeah. You are. Okay. So you started prospecting, selling marketing. What did you do first to start bringing in customers? I started putting free legal advice videos during law school. Ah, okay. Nice. I would teach people about what I learned in contracts class today. Hey guys, look, today I walked out of class and I learned that in a contract, you need offer acceptance consideration in order for there to be a breach has to be a, those three elements have to be there first. So if you're writing a contract with someone, make sure you have this tomorrow, we're going to be learning this and discuss <laughs> the unilaterality, you know, what a unilateral contract is. And sure. I just did that. I, I, I let people in on my journey yep. and um, it's really cool to watch because I kind of have all these eyes on me. And if you're not good with pressure, don't do this. But um, I happen to thrive under pressure. And so I just show people along the way, hey, I'm in law school. I'm learning this. I got exams right now. I just, I just started using social media. And so my first good case, big case came from Snapchat. It was a six-figure case um, that I got from Snapchat because someone saw my video, swiped up, messaged me. I ended up signing up that client and uh, the rest is history. So I started by providing value way before anyone thought that they would need my services. Sure. That's awesome. Social media foundation. Okay. Yeah. So how long did it take before you brought on your first employee and what did that employee do? I'm, I'm th- what I'm talking about here is the scalability of your own business. Okay. So great question. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with figuring out when it's time to hire an employee. Yes. And I asked a lot of people, uh, I asked so many people, so many questions during this process until I, I realized most people don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) A lot of people get lucky and um, sometimes you got to figure it out on your own. Here's what I did. First, I made sure that I knew everything I needed to know about the business to grow it with a tremendous amount of capital over the year. So I wanted to fill up my pipeline. I realized early on that the cheapest, fastest way to do that is by providing free legal advice on social media, because I can post videos on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. This is before TikTok, and people would see it and I would make it entertaining. Not only was I doing that, I was traveling all over the world. I always figured out a way to travel for very, very cheap. So Jamaica's got a deal for 180 bucks round trip. I'm there. I'm splitting it with three guys and we're going to go chill in Jamaica for a week, all in for 500 bucks. Let's do it. And I'll have, I'll record everything along the way. So I figured early on that entertainment is the name of the game. I wanted people to keep stay entertained when I put the stuff on social. So the ability to acquire clients, number one, that is the foundation. You have to figure out how to bring in clients. Number two is if you wanted to have a rule of thumb as to whether you can afford a client, uh, an, an employee, don't assume you have to have the entire year's salary sitting in your expense account. Right. Usually in the beginning, you don't have that much cash flow. You have little bits and pieces. You got a client, something checks out, you make some money, and then you reinvest and go on from there. So when that money does start coming in, you have to, number three is keep your costs low. I made my first million dollars while I was still living with a roommate, spending $300 a month in rent. I had no office space while well, I, was, I was borrowing office space. So I paid zero for it. Um, I leased a car. I didn't want to buy a car. Right. And I just kept all the files in the trunk of my car. Um, until, and so your question was, when did I hire my first employee? Mm-hmm. Once I realized that 
the value of my time exceeded the work that I was doing, it was time to hire an employee. So the very first thing you should do is hire an assistant to take care of all of the menial tasks. Yes. Really small stuff that's not worth your time. I found myself spending so much time on writing letters to insurance companies and, you know, drafting things that an $8 an hour, $10 an hour employee could do. So I found my first assistant, paid her 500 bucks a week. I didn't have payroll at the time. So I just paid her cash or check, whatever I could get, get my hands on. And then three months later, so this was only about three, four months in. And then a few months after that, I realized, okay, I've got over a hundred cases in my you know, portfolio. Yes. Um, I need to train someone to do the legal writing aspect of this. This is where everyone messes up. When you need to hire a skilled employee, don't go cheap. Right. Agreed. Yeah. If you think it's expensive to hire a professional, wait until you hire an amateur. So I had. Amen. (laughs) I had been chasing down this guy. So this guy came into my shop five years prior. Um, He he bought a set of rims from me because I had a, I had like three shops that I was working in. So he came in, bought some rims and I'm like, man, so what do you do? This is in like 2013. Okay. Um, what do you do, man? Oh, you know, I'm, uh, I work at this law firm, you know, but I don't like how they run things, man. They got a lot of turnover. They just don't care about clients and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, man, I, I like the way you talk, man. Cause customer service really is important. It's like, yeah, what do you do? I said, well, I'm in law school. And, um, when I graduate law school and I open up my firm, I'm going to hire you. And this was in like 2013, 2012, 2013, five years later, I hired him. Nice. I started him off at a salary that was higher than I was making. I wasn't even paying myself in the company. I just knew that I needed a rock star that I could rely on. So I overpaid and everyone told me I overpaid and everyone thought that this was a huge mistake and you're going to crumble, but I could see the pipeline. And I knew that if I could just hold on for a little bit longer as those checks started hitting and yes, I missed payroll a couple of times. Yes. I was broke for periods of time where I had to take money out of a credit card or borrow money. Yes, I was making moves based off of just gut instincts, but I didn't care because I knew that the value I'm going to get from this paralegal was going to be overwhelming in the future. He's still with me today. Now he's the director of my department, my personal injury department. He has like 10 people that are working underneath him and um, he trusted me. So I went all in on him. And since then, And here's the the best value of hiring a great, expensive employee. Since then, my standards and expectations have been elevated so much that I just don't accept mediocrity in my firm. So I seek out high-level employees. I'm in the talent acquisition business. I'm not in any other business. I'm looking for the best of the best to come and work with me. And since then, I've hired five or six rock stars that are even faster, better, stronger than him. And I thought he was the best. So it's just like your expectations keep getting higher and higher once you're exposed to it. And so first employee, after a few months, handle the really cheap stuff that's not worth my time. Second employee, get someone that's skilled that can manage the first one. So not all of my time is wasted handling, you know, the really menial tasks. And um, after that, figure out a way to, you know, to duplicate and put systems in place. Don't create systems before you make money. Make money first, then create the systems. Too many people care about the systems. They care about, I need to put this in place first. Oh, well, totally. You know, there's no point in having a big ass jug of gas if you don't have a car, dude. So <laughs> you got to get the car first, man. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a lot more that I could talk about. There, <laughs> there's so many fun things to unpack there. I got to touch on the immediate last point is so many people love like planning like doing planning things and creating PowerPoints and writing proposals, but none of it generates revenue. No, no. And this is in in my world, which is the tech world. So many people feel like they have to sell once they have the tech, like the app or the platform. And it's very opposite. The right thing to do is you want to be selling your platform before it's even launched. Exactly. Yeah. Put together a few screenshots, UIs, Photoshop, done. Go out and sell it. Pre-launch special. Get the revenue in the door. Yep. There's always creative ways. You've got that figured out. Here's yeah. one for you. So I remember talking to a guy a few years back. He's like, most employees, and this can be, sound harsh to anybody listening here, but most employees, most people arrive, if you're going to put them on like a grading scale, they arrive at 
probably a B, B plus at the highest. And you want to find like, it's, it's like a needle in a haystack, but if you can find a caliber talent, the amount of stress you have in your business is significantly reduced, but you've got to spend the time to find the A talent. And most people interviewing their B's and C's and you just, yeah, that's the truth. Here's my philosophy on hiring. If you need a $12 an hour employee to fill a specific role, find someone who wants $16 an hour and they'll figure out a way to make that role so much more than it is. Yeah. Pay more so that you can expect more. So if you pay cheap, don't expect great results. And so I, uh, I overpay if I, if I'm, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. I overpay my employees, but guess what? We overperform and we, we over, over exceed our clients expectations and we grow at a rapid pace in our firm. And now I can 100% say with utmost confidence and certainty that I only have A plus players in my organization. That is amazing. Yeah, that's, that's hard to do. You know, people say that, oh, well, after five or 10 employees or 15 employees, you need some of those B and C players to fill in the spots. Screw that. I don't right? need B and C players, you know? And it's crazy because my office assistant who you would think, okay, it's a $12 an hour, $15 an hour employee. No, give her a strong salary with benefits, with bonuses, with incentives. And guess what? Now she's figuring out ways to make your life easier. And so I'll give you an example. Just this morning, I'm looking for a person to fill an intake role just to answer calls. Look, a lot of people fill in roles for eight to $10 an hour just to answer calls. Okay. I said, no, I want to pay at least a 40 or 50 K salary because I want to attract some talent. I'm looking for the right person. Well, I attracted a 70, 80 K employee. That's a lot of money for someone that's just going to be answering phones and closing out clients. But here's my philosophy. If this person wants an extra 20 grand a year, is there anything that this person has to offer that will guarantee me an extra 20 grand a year in something that they do throughout the course of their employment? Mm -hmm. And when the answer is a resounding yes, and you still don't hire that person, that means you are cheap. Yes. That means <laughs> you need to fix your mentality when it comes to how to treat employees. Because yes. one thing that I learned is if you have a great employee, pay them like you mean it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, this was a few months back. I interviewed a girl who's got it totally figured out with like you do with hiring personnel. She's got an accounting firm and she hires and she pays more she hires a talent and she's able to travel more. She's yeah. able to spend more time with her family. She has more freedom. And it's like, you would not have that if you had B and C players on your team. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, so. and you can keep getting a, and a players all the time. Yep. Because those are the people that are going to build your culture. And so, you know, we're, we've been kind of talking in the first phase, which is 2017 for me, mm-hmm. first employee, second employee, um, 2018 was a year where I decided I just need to focus on making money because everything else really doesn't matter. Putting in the systems, getting an office, all that stuff doesn't really matter. So 2018 was my first full year in business. I spent a total of $5,500 in marketing by boosting posts on my phone. And I made $3.2 million uh, from a $5,000 ad spend. That's crushing it. Yeah. I think 47,000% ROI. It wasn't bad. Um, a little bit better than the S&P 500. Um, yeah, just a touch above. Yeah, but you had costs against that. So actually, no. Um, you know, my costs were just two or three employees. I was okay. still borrowing an office space. Um, I didn't move into an office until late or mid 2018. That's when I went from spending 120 dollars a month because I had to pay for parking, right? Sure. But I went from 120 a month to like 27.50 a month, um, and that was all my costs. It was all inclusive. I didn't have utilities and rent, all this other stuff. I was still spending $300 a month in rent. So I knew that I needed a lot of cash flow to be able to hire and do the things that I needed to do. So 2018 was the year that I learned just because I'm good at making money doesn't mean I'm good at anything else. Mm-hmm. So in 2019, I made hire, bad hiring decisions one after the other after the other. And it, it showed in my, re- in my revenue because as I was growing from, you know, a six figure business to a seven figure business, 2019 should have been my eight figure year. But 
that was the year where I had to figure out how to stop working in the business and start working on the business. That's where I realized you need more people to get the things done that you want to accomplish. So I started hiring based off of talent and not off of personality sure. and work ethic. And so I made a lot of mistakes. I learned a lot of, you know, a lot of things about dealing with the department of labor when people you know, file for unemployment. I learned a lot of things about, you know, workplace discrimination and harassment. I learned a lot about, you know, when someone has a cancerous attitude, how it can infect yes. literally everyone else. And so it, I actually didn't really cut out all of these cancers until this year. Okay. And that's when we started seeing drastic growth because I didn't realize how much it affected other people. And so all the mistakes that I made in 2019 carried over to 2020. And it took me like 18 months to clean all that stuff out. Yep. But 2020 is when I decided we're only hiring rock stars from here on out. I'm not going to deal with anyone's crap. 90 day trial period. If you make three mistakes in the first 90 days, you're out. No questions asked. Yes. Here, here are your expectations. Here's the employee handbook. Read it. If you mess up, I'm going to give you written warnings and I will tell you your job is at stake. And what happens is that I'm proud to say I have over 60% turnover rate. Why would I be proud by that? Yeah. Explain that. Well, because the people that turn over are usually in the first two to three weeks. Uh-huh. Meaning I've learned how to spot crappy employees early on. So most people care about the metric of employee retention. Don't worry about it from day one. Don't worry about it, worry about it from day 90. Yes. If they stay on board from day 90, they're worth it. Yep. And so my philosophy is to overwhelm them with work in the beginning because I want to see if they're willing, they're gonna, they can sink or swim. There you go. If they sink, I'm sorry, man. My personality is just not going to mesh with yours because I don't fail. Do you fail? Seems like you do. Get out, you know? And I, I, the, the, the definition of failure is just not learning from your mistakes. That's it. If you make a mistake and then you repeat it over and over and over again, either you don't care or you're an idiot. Either situation, I don't need you around here, you know? Right, right. So, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm glad we're having a lot of conversation around employees and talent because you have what I would classify as a traditional service business. And in order to scale a service business, you got to bring on the right people. And that's exactly what you're doing, which is really cool to hear. Um, I really liked you walking through some of the mistakes, especially the hiring pains. But let's, let's get into some of the numbers here before we get into the final round. I call it the rapid fire round. But anyway, um, what are you projected to break eight figures this year? Already did. Nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I had a goal of hitting 10 million before I turned 30. Uh, happened like a month or a couple of weeks right before I turned 30. Um, yesterday we had a $1.2 million day. Uh, it's become normal to have million dollar months in my practice. And um, honestly, I just feel like the things that I'm doing correctly are just hiring good people and paying yep. them well. And so that allows me to attract great talent. So now I'm just obsessed with this idea of just hiring people and paying them well, because I want you to have what I have. I want you to have a lifestyle where you can do whatever you want. And the crazy thing is I give people paid time off. You can have two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, as much as you want. I really don't care. They don't take it because they love working here. They love the environment. They love the people that they work with. And so I catch myself figuring out ways to just exceed my employees' expectations all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at buying a condo in another state on the beach because I want to make that the employee of the month award. Hey, here's an all-inclusive trip. Go down to the beach for a weekend, take your family with you and have nice. a good time. You did a great job, you know, because we're getting to that point where it's not just about the money. Once the money is stable, that's the minimum foundation. Now I want you to be happy. Yep. And happiness requires that you be able to do the things that you really want to do. Yep. And no matter what you may think, everyone likes having time for themselves and their families. And so I want to give that to them. I want to give them the ability to travel and do whatever they want. I want to, if they need a company car, if they need extra technology, whatever it is, I'm going to give it to you. I, there's nothing, because I worked in a mechanic shop. There's nothing worse than having all the right parts and not the right tools. Mm. So I, I focus on giving them all those tools. And so um, we broke eight figures this year. Um, we're at like 15 million uh, in revenues. And- okay you know, projecting 20 million for next year. 
and um, I, I'd like to make a hundred million before 35. That's pretty solid. You got to have a sizable law firm for that. What, what's your, um, what's your pipeline look like? What kind of volume of leads are you getting per month? We bring in a hundred to 200 cases a month currently. Okay. Um, however, um, you know, I'm the kind of person that plants seeds two to three years in advance. And so what you're seeing today, something that I started doing in 2017. And so there's a lot of things that happened this year that you're not going to see until 2022 and 2023. Um, it's like, pick a goal and then reverse engineer it. Yep. And if I need to be at a hundred million a year, I need to have more than just Facebook and have more than just Instagram. Yeah. I need to have like massive exposure and I need to have an army, literally an army of lawyers and legal staff. So how do I get there? Well, now we're talking about bringing on an HR director. Now we're talking about building an in-house accounting department. Now we're talking about adding roles that are no longer just, Hey, let's just, hire people that manage the cases and close them out and keep it moving. Yep. Now we're talking about opening a client services department for the sole purpose of reaching out to clients proactively after we've closed their cases to send them free stuff, you know, because it's worth it. Yes. And because client services and customer service isn't just good for business. It is the business. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so uh, it's exciting, man. That that's pretty cool. Um, and you have how many employees today? 21 or 22, depending okay. on what happens uh, at the end of the day, if this guy, you know. Okay. All right. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> That's in the law firm and the media company. We've got seven and, okay. you know, I'm still, you know, involved in a couple of other small businesses that, you know, maybe take, I don't know, a couple of hours of my time a month or a quarter. Sure. Um, they're, you know, it's just things that I've just done along the way. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you wish you would have bought some stocks earlier? Imagine buying Amazon for $125 in 2010. Today, Amazon is over $2,500. Imagine buying Facebook for $25 in 2013. Today, Facebook is over $200. Imagine buying Netflix for $60 in 2014. Today, Netflix is over $400. Do you feel like you find out about great stocks too late? What if you could find great stocks before they become mainstream news? And what if a software found those stocks for you? With Ticker, you can find great stocks before what feels like the rest of the world finds out. Does this sound too good to be true? Check this out. Ticker was back-tested from 1999 through 2019 and has proven to beat the market every year. The lowest return was 10% and the highest return was 96%. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro. That's T-Y-K-R.pro. Again, ticker.pro. Yeah, you're a, a natural entrepreneur through and through. So, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, well done. You are, you are scaling a service business correctly. I, I think that that's one of the big key takeaways. Hiring top talent, spending extra, it's worth it. So. Right, man. And, you know, I'm so glad you asked the questions the way you did, because uh, you're a phenomenal interviewer. You, kn oh, you listen, thank you. you know what to look for. And because you know what your, what your listeners and your viewers are looking for. And they're looking for, okay, I'm stuck in that phase where I'm at like maybe zero and I'm trying to get to five or six figures, or maybe yeah. I'm stuck at six and I'm trying to get to seven, or I'm stuck at seven trying to get to eight. So you just dive right in and pick out that piece of information that's really critical. Mm -hmm. And so the question that you asked me that almost no other interviewer has asked me is what did you do immediately after law school? Mm -hmm. And there's 1.3 million lawyers in the U S how do you differentiate yourself and figure out a way to build a successful business and to reiterate, because this warrants repetition, it's very important. Yep. Go and learn as much as you can. Because yes. just because you have this degree on the wall doesn't mean you're qualified to do anything. Doesn't mean you know how to get clients. Definitely doesn't mean you know how to run a business and doesn't mean you know how to represent people from start to finish. Right. So go and work for someone and don't worry about the money. It'll come. Just spend that time learning. But more importantly, know once you've learned everything there is to learn and it's time to move on. Yep. And the case in point here is that I quit my job February 12th, 2017. Started my firm February 13th, 2017. But I incorporated August 4th, 2016. 
I knew six months in advance that I wasn't going to last there because I had already, I had saw that my learning curve was like this. Yes. And the amount of information was like right here and it was only growing at this pace. So by the, the time plateau. I got to that point, it didn't make sense to stay there. So I prepared. And instead of just quitting and saying, screw it, I'm going to figure this out. No, I laid the foundation. Yeah. I incorporated. I made sure that I had a solid Instagram page. So if people wanted to reach out to me, they can come. I made sure that I had a, a solid phone number and a way that people can contact me. And so laying that foundation and having that sense of almost uh, ability to foresee where you're going, I think is a very critical skill that you need to learn. And I think you'll learn that when you're working for someone else who doesn't have foresight. Right. You know? I, I love talking about transitions because every successful entrepreneur I've had on this show, they have done parallel processing. In other words, they've been at a job and they've started their business in parallel and they ran it for months and sometimes years in parallel. It's not easy, but you eventually let go of that job, say goodbye, and you're, you're off and running because you're already producing revenue with your business. And the, the craziest thing, man, is that I, I would have stayed at that job had I been treated well. I would have stayed because I would have loved to be a partner in a business that, you know, already has the infrastructure. I would have loved to be an integral part of a thriving business, but I wasn't treated well. And I, I, I could still be an entrepreneur in an organization. I don't have to For have sure. my own business. You know, I like this quote that says, you know, the reason the lion tamer doesn't get eaten is because the lions are well fed. <laughs> and if you want a like circus and you want entertainment and you want the whole show, you need lions. Yep. Just make sure they're well fed. Yes. Otherwise they're going to eat you. So yeah, I look for these lions and I feed them well with the uh, benefits and salary and bonuses and incentives. But more importantly, I nurture their soul and their spirit and their minds to keep them learning, keep them growing. And so yep. if you talk about today, we do mandatory trainings every single day. 30 minutes to an hour with every employee, you're going to learn something every single day. Because if I can't feed them what I've learned and what I'm experiencing and the six figures a year that I'm spending in personal development, I owe that to my staff to give it back to them. Yep. And I want to start developing leaders. So now we have a leadership team where we're going to have mandatory reading requirements for every leader. We're going to say, hey, here's the reading. Let's study this chapter. Let's see how it applies to our organization and how we can apply it day by day and get better and better. So we're interviewing this in 2020. Hopefully this time next year, when you interview me, I'm going to have a hundred people on my team. And that's the goal. hundred people. We need to at least do 20 million next year, but I know that with a hundred people we'll hit 50, you know? Yep. So I just need, I need the people. And so I'm trying to attract them and build that foundation. And when you've got 15, 20 rock stars around you, they can each handle one person to train. And then mm -hmm. you know, have that duplicate kind of like a, you know, a domino effect. That's where we are today, man. That's, that's sweet. Well, we'll have you back on. We're, we're going to listen to this clip and then compare it against where you're at a year from now. All right. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Let's hire some people. I like a guy who can back his words up. <laughs> hey, you know, if you, if you look on my Instagram in 2018, I made a goal of doing one and a half million dollars in 105 days. And uh, at the very last minute and every single day I got a settlement check I would post it and show people. And at the very last day, I hit that goal, 1.5 million in 105 days. The next year, this was 2019, mm -hmm. I said, I want to do a million dollars in a single month. Every single day, a settlement check came in. I posted about it and I had this little thing on my wall where I would just you know, fill it in as we went up the thermometer. We hit the goal right at the very last day. And this year, our goal is $5 million in 100 days, meaning December 23rd, Yep. We have to hit $5 million from, you know, a hundred days since uh, September 14th. The reason for that is because December 23rd is right before Christmas. So I wanted to give my staff, Hey, if we hit this goal, everyone gets paid time off till January 4th. Everyone's paycheck gets doubled. And um, for me personally, I hit my, you know, uh, spiritual and my uh, uh, literal goals for, for my, uh, sure. my own health. Cause I'm doing this 75 hard program. And I want to finish all my exercises by that day. So it's like I'm envisioning it and I want all of my goals to align all at the same time. So December 23rd is when we're trying to hit that 5 million. And I'm going to hopefully announce it. And, you know, but it's, I've gotten to this point where it's not just about the financial goals. And, I'm, and I keep telling my staff, I would rather hit 4.8 million 
and have a very, very happy clientele base than to hit 6.5 and people say, oh, you rushed my case and you didn't do this. No, totally. this is just a goal. It's, it doesn't mean we have to hit it. Because if we lay the foundation well now, we want to worry about next year and the year after and the year after. And so, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I, I back it up. There's a lot of wisdom behind that comment. I give you compliments there because at the end of the day, it always reverts back to the value to the customer. And that's so true. Like, it, would you rather have like 100 customers that are like um, frustrated and upset with you and you're making a ton of money? Or do you want 10 customers that love you? Even if you're making less, those test 10 customers are so much more worth it. Right. Absolutely right, man. Yeah. Cool. All right. This is the point of the episode where we're going to find out who Ali really is. Uh-oh. Rapid fire round. If you could answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? Let's do it. All right. What is your favorite podcast? Uh, I would say Andy Frisella's podcast, the, the Real AF. I don't know if you've heard the MF CEO project. Mm-mm. Andy Frisella. It's a really good podcast. He's, a, he's all about business and development. And I mean, he, he does $500 million a year and the dude's just, he just lives like a normal dude. And, you know, I learn a lot from taking all the little pieces of information on that podcast where I can listen to five episodes and only apply one sentence, but I know there's value in there if I dig enough. Good for you. Little nuggets you can pull out of that. That's awesome. I'll check it out. That's, a, that's my, right up my alley. Yeah. All right. Next one here. What is a book you read, a recent book you read and would recommend? Uh, a recent book that I recommend. So I've, I've read a couple. Um, if I give you one, um, Ego is the Enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, have a, I have an ego problem. I just think I'm like the hottest thing to hit the world. And, you know, I'm the You're best. You're aware of it. I'm the best <laughs> thing since sliced bread, baby. You know, <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that ego and that cockiness, uh, that, that arrogance sometimes comes off as cockiness. And I've, I've tried to convince myself that it's not arrogance if you can back it up. It's not cockiness if you can actually back it up. No, sometimes you're just an asshole and you mm-hmm. don't need to be that way. And so I'm, I'm working on that, that muscle. Oh, you don't cuss on your show, right? So, sorry about that. No, no, I'm, I'm completely open to it, to be honest okay. with you. Yeah. That's just it. I can't use a better word than just asshole. And you don't need to be like that. And so ego is the enemy. It gives you all of these examples of how ego literally crushed people and took them from the very top to the very bottom and how people who have put their ego to the side have excelled so much. So I like that book. It was actually a gift that someone gave me because um, I had an event that I hosted, the CEO Lawyer Summit. And I told people, the next thing I need to work on is my ego. And this person in the, in the audience went and bought that book for me the same day and gave it to me as a gift the very next day. So great book. Good EQ, emotional intelligence there. You're aware of your emotions. Because a lot of people, they won't be. They will uh, be naive to their own emotions and the impacts it has on others. But Yeah, I'm working on that, man. We're all in <laughs> progress. We all have our own... Uh, issues we work through. So no, that's great. That's great. All right. Here's a fun one. What's your favorite movie? <laughs> um, I, I, you know what? I'm just gonna say Borat. Uh, I Dear, love comedy. What? Dude, I love comedy. I'm sorry, man. I don't <laughs> care what people think about me. <laughs> Borat is just, and when you start studying Sacha Baron Cohen, you yep. realize this guy is a genius, is a comic genius. For sure. And um, he just exposes people of their bigotry and their racism in such a, an entertaining way. I love it. That I think it's next level comedy. And so, yes, there's just a lot of really stupid and just disgusting stuff that happens throughout the movie. Um, but Borat's probably one of my favorite movies, even though my, my wife probably never let me watch it again. <laughs> that, that's a curveball. I didn't see that one coming from you, but you are selling me on that, uh, that outside approach, that uh, contrarian approach. Uh, attempt at comedy or I shouldn't say attempt, but their, their style of comedy, but what, all right, let's hit the next question here. What is your favorite food? I love mangoes as a fruit, but I love uh, Middle Eastern, you know, specifically Palestinian and, and uh, Syrian dishes. Uh, sure. This is from that Levantine region. So we have this dish called Molochia, which is like a, it's like a green leaf that's made into a soup and you mix like little chunks of chicken in it and you got to have rice on the side. And then we have uh, this makhluba, which is like rice and, and, and potatoes and chicken that's all like kind of mixed in together. 
um, stuffed squash, like anything with rice that's Middle Eastern, dude, I'm all in. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. I, what yeah. you just described there sounds delicious, actually. <laughs> Come on over, man. We'll have you over. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And I love to cook too. So awesome. sweet. All right. Next question here. How many hours do you work per week? Someone asked me that last week. Um, it depends on your definition of work. If it's being, you know, on call for your business, uh, there's no answer to that. I'm always on call. I don't have an off switch, unfortunately. So, you know, it might be once a year when I just tell my staff and tell everyone, look, hey, it's my anniversary. I got to give at least one full day to my wife because she deserves it. But mm -hmm. historically, every time I've done that, just shit has hit the fan in my business. So I just don't pay tell people I'm taking days off anymore. I just go do my thing and I'm on call in the background. My ability to not be involved in my business is directly proportional to the success that I have in that business. So I actually work maybe 10, 20 hours a week, but, but if you, you know, if you calculate it, but you know, I'll sit, go to the gym, answer a couple of emails, five, 10 sure. emails, knock them out. You know, I'll go do something. I'll get on a podcast tomorrow. I'm meeting with an orthopedic surgeon going to, you know, go through all of his social media. Mm -hmm. It's not work, work. It's working in the business or on the business and not on in the business. business. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's great. Good balance there. So I value my, my thinking time, you know? Yes. A strategic yeah. um, moves are so much more impactful than all this uh, hustle rush. I'm not a yeah. big fan of the hustle movement. I think, not think, I know working smarter is much more effective than working harder. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully one time, one day we'll go into like how my business is structured in terms of how we leverage technology in such an antiquated industry. Um, because I just don't know too many other lawyers that went from zero to, to eight figures in no. three and a half years, no. especially the way I did it. Like, dude, I did it the hard way. My, my biggest settlement up until yesterday was 250,000. And most of my settlements are small, like five grand, 10 to $15,000, meaning we're getting a lot of cases in and maximizing them and keeping them moving. That's a lot harder than just getting lucky on one case, you know, yeah. make a million dollars. So, you know, luck just so happened to hit you know, yesterday in that million dollar settlement, but I feel like luck is just a byproduct of hard work and consistency. Yep. Yep. There you go. All right. How many hours do you sleep each night? I sleep well. Uh, six is low, but this morning I slept in, maybe had eight or nine. Good for um, you. I sleep as much as I need to, but I do try to wake up early every morning and yeah. um, I care more about getting my morning routine done than I care about the amount of hours that I sleep. But uh, I would like to get better at controlling my sleep if that's something that I'd be completely transparent about. Uh, there's a lot of high-level entrepreneurs that actually track their sleep, know when they're entering the REM cycle, know when they're getting up, and just kind of they have their circadian rhythm just working yep. so fluidly with everything else in their lives. I'd like to get there. But in the meantime, I'll just sleep whenever I need it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the power of sleep, my friend. It's, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. All right. Next question here is what is your workout regimen? So I currently am on a program where I work out twice a day. Um, okay. one outdoor workout, one indoor workout. Um, I used to be a gym rat. I used to always be shredded, had a six pack my whole life, but I had a really bad back injury about four years ago. And, um, what'd you do? You know, it's, it was culmination of a car accident plus, um, dealing with, you know, just pre-existing back pain. And so just blew okay. out my L5 S1 disc. And since then I've changed from heavy duty, hardcore lifting to core exercises, having real body strength. Um, you know, I don't care how much you bench. I want to see how many times you can do pull-ups, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, air squats, go do 500 air squats and tell me how, if that wasn't a workout, you know? So twice a day, sometimes just I'll walk uh, for 45 minutes as one of my workouts or I'll do yoga. I've been stretching a lot lately. And so mm -hmm. I try to make one of my workouts a yoga session every single day. When I can't, I'll have an easy workout where I'll walk for 45 minutes. And during that time, uh, I use it to catch up on, I used to listen to podcasts, but I get way more value from just calling people that I haven't talked to in a while. So oh, there you go. I have over a thousand contacts on my phone. So I'll just randomly pick someone and I'll keep calling until someone answers. We'll have a nice deep conversation, see how they're going, see what's see what they've been up to. Sure. And um, yeah, I feel like I, I've, I've been missing out on that. So I do that. Yeah. That's really healthy. Good for you. Cool. All right. 
Last question here is if you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? I would say be nicer to people at every single age when that actually mattered, starting with age four or five. Be mm -hmm. nicer to people every step of the way. It's not a specific age. It's a consistent thing. And I, I let my, um, you know, my ego and my aggressive behavior and my competitive nature always make me uh, an arrogant type of person. Sure. But everyone who actually knew me and really knew me was like, man, this is a really good guy. He's a nice guy. And I was, you know, I was my own worst enemy because I had this, like all this brick wall in front of me. And I, you know, every time you first met me, you think, man, that guy really sucked. And like, he's just so competitive. And it's just, it's not a good feeling to be around him. But for the people that stuck around, I had really strong, deep relationships with friends and family. And so breaking that down and just learning that if I'm just nicer to people from the very beginning, I can get to a point where our relationship is functioning at a very high frequency much earlier on. And so being nice doesn't cost anything. I think I, I really okay. wish I would have been nicer every step of the way. And so that's something that I'm cognizant of that I'm working on too, because I feel like I could do better at being nicer and catching myself when my immediate reaction is to say something mean and just, you know, self-reflecting and wondering why do I think that way? And why shouldn't I think this way? And it just sure. really boils down to just be nice to people and that's it. That's awesome. Yeah, you're gonna, you're well on your way. Your firm is gonna get big. You maintain that attitude, keep hiring the right people. Yeah. I'm excited. And I'm, and I'm really glad that we connected, man, because I love your vibe. I love your energy. And uh, I kind of want to interview you now. I want to see what's going on in the back of your mind. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, I didn't even realize he had a podcast, but uh, sweet. Well, last question here, and I actually, I've got another podcast in about five five minutes here or so, but um, where can the audience reach you? So my uh, username is CEO Lawyer. Uh, you'll find me on Instagram and Facebook. I also have the CEO Lawyer podcast that I'm putting together. I just want to, I have a couple of episodes up right now, but I want to have about 10, 20 episodes that I can kind of start posting consistently because I want my listeners and viewers to get, you know, content consistently, you know? Cool. Um, so CEO Lawyer, anywhere you search, you type it on Google, you type it on YouTube, you type it on Facebook or Instagram, you're going to find me. CEO Lawyer. Uh, that's CEO as in, you know, badass attorney and then lawyer, you know, so, <laughs> but that's it. That's awesome. Ali. Well, thanks a lot for your time. This is great. Thank you, my friend. And thank you so much for having me. And uh, I hope that I provided at least some sort of value to your audience. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon, man. You did. I can't wait for the feedback. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Always on the grind. Yeah, you know me. All the crowd will be mine. You can call me king. Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know your time is valuable and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya. Don't be wasting any time. I got somewhere to be. Always on the grind. Yeah, you know me. All the crowd will be mine. You can call me king. A matter of time for you all love me. Find me at my prime right where I want to be. I'm one of a kind and no one like me.